The reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 3, starting at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Morning, folks. Well, I wonder um, how lockdown has been affecting you. There's lots of change going on, of course, at the moment, but it's still a strange time. Uh, maybe for parents, it's that challenge of mixing all these things, of working from home and homeschooling and supposedly doing all of those things really, really well. Maybe for the younger ones of you, uh, it's about missing friends from school. Uh, or, or maybe now you're back at school and it's all a little bit weird and a little bit different to how it used to be. But what about those for whom there's a really difficult time where they've, been, where they've been furloughed from their work? Or maybe you've even been in an unfortunate position because of COVID that you've lost your job. And it's really difficult, isn't it? Because so much of our society measures who we are by what we do. What about those struggling with ill health and finding that really hard? Or those who have lost a loved one and are going through that aching, that pain, that distress, that loneliness and loss because of your grief. And of course, it may be that you're one of those people who are saying, yeah, actually, lockdown's not so bad. I quite enjoy the peace and the quiet and the time that it's given me. And we're reminded of it, of course, as Dan mentioned earlier, that here we are all looking at each other on our little screens, listening through a volume control that we can turn on or off, and longing to get back where we can all meet together in the same place, face to face. We can hug, we can touch, we can be together. Friends, through this difficult time, what we need to be reminded of is what the Lord Jesus has done for us and the life that he has given us. And to remember that we can cling onto him. Sometimes it feels like clinging onto him, doesn't it? For grim death. But we need to cling to the Lord Jesus, remembering that we are more loved by God than we could ever begin to imagine. Well, that's the message really that comes through from John 3, 16 to 21. And verse 16, you probably know, is one of the most famous Bible passages. 
it's certainly I think the passage of the Bible which is most frequently preached on and what wonderful news it is for those people who are struggling with lockdown for those who are finding life hard for those feeling that the weight of the world is bearing down and there are struggles and there is hardship can I just throw out one challenge to you to say if if you already know and love the Lord Jesus and I think that's most people that I'm talking to here don't let the familiarity of this passage wash over you so that you miss the joy and the wonder and the truths that it contains so as we approach this beautiful passage of scripture let me pray as we begin heavenly father thank you for your word your living word the lord jesus i thank you for these wonderful truths that we're going to unpack this morning about his immense love for us and your great concern for your whole world Speak to us this morning, I pray, Heavenly Father, wherever we are, and meet our needs through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may remember, if you were here uh, with us last week, that we looked at Nicodemus, uh, discovering how he must be born again. And ultimately, for Nicodemus, as well as for us, it's really a question about who we are before God. It's about our identity. If you've ever phoned up your bank uh, and uh, you've wanted some information for something about your account, they will inevitably say to you, can I just go through security with you? And they want to know your name, your address, your postcode, your mother's maiden name, uh, digit number four of your password, P-A-S-S, -S. oh no, no, you shouldn't use password as a password. Um, but you know the sort of thing. But you know, ultimately, our identity is not about the bits that the bank want, just to check that we're who we say we are. Our identity is about who we are in Christ. And it's not our old identity that we're thinking about. It's our new identity, because as uh, Paul said, uh, you are a new creation. The old is gone the new has come. So let's leap in and see what these verses that Victoria read for us have to say. Firstly, those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. It was February 2018. Dr. Ian Pearson, who's a very clever guy, claims that people born after 1970 should be able to live forever. By 2050, he suggests, genetic engineering could be used to reduce or reverse the aging of human cells. Artificial intelligence could lead to android bodies for humans to live in after their own body fails. And virtual reality worlds could be created for people to upload their minds to. Boy, that's a lot of effort to go to for something that sounds so utterly dreadful. And even if it were possible, 
That isn't eternal life. Jesus said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this eternal life doesn't start in 2050. If you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, it starts now, right in this life. It's not about pie in the sky when you die. It's about real life and real life now. Now, we'll have all heard the old adage, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. But, you know, for Jesus, Jesus' promise here means that for the Christian, the final destiny is not death. The final destiny is life. And not the artificial drudgery in some android body that Professor Pearson was talking about. You see, eternal life shouldn't be understood about how long it is for. Now, I quite enjoy life on the whole. There are challenges, yes, but I enjoy life. But if eternal life simply means an everlasting non-stop continuation of this, frankly, I'm not that interested. We need to start thinking about eternal life, not, as, not about the quantity of it, but the quality of it. One commentator said that eternal life is not an endless endurance of being in time, but being in which time is not a measure. You see that sense of eternity is about an extraordinary relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now I'm not pretending for one minute that this eternal life, the best life one could imagine in all eternity will eradicate the challenges that I spoke about at the beginning. If you're struggling, I don't want to falsely suggest that just trusting in Jesus will get rid of all of those struggles and everything will be rosy. The Bible doesn't teach us that that will be so. In fact, very often the reverse can be true. But just like when your vision is fading, you need to go to the optician and get a new set of glasses. So when life is a struggle and we're beginning to look inwardly at ourselves and forget to focus on Jesus, so we need a new set of glasses. We need to refocus our attention and gaze at Jesus. And that's the lens through which we ought to be looking at the troubles we face today. It's remarkable, isn't it? But even more so if you consider that ever since Adam and Eve took that fateful bite out of the apple, way back in Genesis 3, the world has been messed up. It's been broken. The relationship between God and his people has been broken. Sin entered the world and rightly incurs God's judgment because God is implacably opposed to sin. And that means that all of us deserve to perish. Your sin and my sin is an affront to the holy, perfect God. And yet, 
despite God's judgment that we all deserve, Jesus says to those who believe in him, you have eternal life. So why doesn't our sin prevent that? Well, the answer is my second point, and it's this. Those who believe in Jesus are not condemned. Those who believe in Jesus are not condemned. I wonder whether you've ever been in that situation where uh, you've been hauled up in front of some authority because you did something wrong and you're going to be in trouble. It might have been a parent. It might have been a manager. It might have been a teacher. It might even have been a judge or a magistrate in a court of law. It's a terrifying experience, isn't it? What's going to happen? Now just imagine if you knew when you went into that meeting exactly what was going to happen and that what was going to happen is that you were not going to receive the punishment you deserved. Wouldn't that change the way you went into that conversation? That's what this passage is saying in verse 18. God sets aside his judgment and says, you are not condemned. In other words, the death sentence that you should be getting, you're not getting. And what that means is that when Jesus returns to judge the whole world, you will face that judgment already knowing what the outcome is going to be. You are not condemned. And notice that it's in the present tense. Already at the point that you believe in the Lord Jesus, your status is secured. You're an uncondemned person. Well, what kind of God is it that makes such a promise? It's this kind. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now that's so at the beginning there means this is how he loved not in the way that we understand love. I mean, we love some people, don't we? And we really don't love some other people quite actively sometimes. But actually, in contrast, there is no limit to the love that Jesus has. What does it say? He loved the world. What that means in this context is every single person who has ever lived, who is living, who will ever live. Including, yes, you and me but including all of those people who reject him and say, I don't want you. Leave me alone. And note in verse 16, that lovely little phrase, God gave his only son. That short phrase is the grace of God summed up. You see, we deserve to die because of the fall. But God gave his son. We can't earn it. We accept it because it's a gift unconditionally given. It's a demonstration of God's grace in action when anybody says, Lord Jesus, I believe, forgive me. And all this means 
moving to my third point, that we don't need to be afraid of the light. In fact, those who believe in Jesus love the light. I wonder whether you've ever done any gardening and you've upturned a rock in the rockery or something and you see all the little wood lice and the little beetles and centipedes and they scurry away from the light, don't they? Looking for darkness again. You know, we don't need to be afraid of the light shining on us when we're trusting in the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. His light shines into the darkness and it shows up the difference between those who believe in him and those who don't. And so in verse 21, we see that those who live by the truth, literally the one who does the truth, aren't afraid of the light showing up what they do. They're not afraid of being seen by God because they're living a life in response to God's grace which by faith they have believed and accepted. You see, as Christians, we're striving constantly, sinful though we are, to live a life which honours everything that Jesus has done for us and points others to him. In Philippians 2.13, we read this. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. You see that? It's all about what God is doing in us and through us. Of course, every Christian still sins. You do, I do. And that's why we need to confess daily, to come back to him and say, I'm sorry. But our ongoing desire is to act according to the light. And we can do that knowing that we have eternal life, knowing that we are not condemned because of God's grace, because of his gift of the Lord Jesus. What a joy to be able to love the light and not to be able to fear it. And sometimes things in life do happen that make us afraid or anxious or doubtful or uncertain. And at those times, I simply need to be reminded of these wonderful truths. Yes, I am more of a sinner than I could ever realise. But I am loved more than I could ever dream. But what does the passage tell us today about those for whom this is a bit of a mystery? They haven't yet believed in the Lord Jesus. They've spent their life rejecting him. Well, for those who don't believe in Lord Jesus, this passage is uncomfortable. But the good news is that that uncomfortableness doesn't have to be permanent. So let's compare the condition of the believer with somebody who doesn't yet believe in the Lord Jesus. See, we've seen that those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. But the, the passage tells us in verse 16 and 17 that people who don't believe in Jesus will perish. You see, that incredible life, that eternal eternity with the Lord Jesus, freed from fear, uncondemned, 
is not available for the person who continually refuses to accept the gift that Jesus has offered unless they change their mind. In fact, Jesus is very clear. In Matthew 25, verse 46, he says to those who reject him that they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I'm sorry, I can't sugarcoat that to make it seem more palatable. If you have rejected Christ, that is your destiny when this current life ends. They will go away to eternal punishment. In other words, to reject Christ's offer of eternal life is not just a decision for this life. It puts you in eternal danger. In fact, that situation is so serious that in verse 18, we see the second comparison. And we've seen that those who believe in Jesus are not condemned. But that those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned already. In other words, sin is so serious that all of humankind is automatically condemned. That's the result of the fall that we spoke about earlier. The world being messed up and broken. Sin means that without Christ, people love darkness instead of light. And in verse 19, we read about the evil deeds that people do. That's a really strong word, isn't it? And when we talk about evil, in our society, I think people generally are thinking about things like terrorism and abuse and hate crimes and these ghastly uh, stabbings that we've seen recently in Glasgow and Reading. But you know, in the Bible, when it talks about evil, it really means just preferring anything above God, making anything more important than he is. Rejecting his light and choosing darkness instead. That's a tough message. But there is good news. This can be changed by Jesus. His overwhelming desire is not to condemn the world. We can see it in verse 17. Your standing as a condemned person can be overturned. How? You simply turn to Christ in faith and believe. And that believing is not just about saying, oh, yes, I agree. It's about doing something. It's a turning away from that old life, which is messy and dirty and dark and broken. And saying, I want that new life. So what's the third comparison between the believer and the unbeliever? Well, we've seen that those who believe in Jesus love the light. And now we see that those who don't believe in Jesus fear the light. Look around you. I don't mean where you're sitting in your sitting room or kitchen or whatever, but at the world, it's a dark, messy broken needy place 
And for so many people, they don't want the light shining on them, showing up their sin. That's why sometimes when you talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus, they say, oh, I'm not religious, I don't want all that. They want to go on enjoying the so-called pleasures of this life. So when confronted by the gospel, they recoil away. so short-sighted isn't it their focus is only on this short life however long that may be other passages in the bible and our experience tell us we never know when our time will come i want to illustrate this a little bit with a, an old climbing rope that i used to use um, and at the end of it i've put a bit of tape there's about two or three inches there that bit of tape represents the whole of this life from birth to death and the rest of the rope represents eternity most people who don't think about jesus and have turned away from him rejected the gift he offers but just focused on that three inches there so that's all that matters but beyond that there is life eternal with the Lord Jesus a wonderful quality of life with him who gave himself so that we could be forgiven and not condemned enjoying eternal life not afraid of the light I'm not even a quarter of the way through that road you get the point where is your focus and really what this passage is offering is a simple choice not like the ones that we heard, saw earlier on about whether we prefer dogs or cats or vegetables or fruit. I was disappointed there not to be allowed to sit on the fence. But we cannot sit on the fence here. We are simply asked, do you accept Christ or do you reject him? And those who know the Lord Jesus, well, what a great privilege that is. Those that don't, or if you're not sure, why don't you make today the day that you say, I'm going to check this out. Even better, why don't you make today the day when you say, I simply want to ask the Lord Jesus to forgive me and accept the gift of life that he offers. And if you've already taken that step and you know the wonder and the joy of the Lord Jesus in your life, remember, each time something comes along that's difficult, look to jesus fix your eyes on him gaze on him enjoy the eternal life that is already yours in him and cling to him now i make no claim that that's going to make life easy it won't but it will give you a fresh pair of glasses through which to view those challenges to remind you daily to rest in jesus and to hold on tightly to him and then you can sing with joy, as we will in a little while at the end of our service, the words in our last hymn, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you have offered us everything in the Lord Jesus. 
I thank you for eternal life. I thank you for freedom from condemnation. I thank you for freedom from fear. Father, I pray in the coming week as challenges come, as things are difficult, perhaps as we feel lonely, perhaps as we feel sad, as we work through grief, Father, would you help us to look to Jesus and cling to him? And Father, I pray that too for those who as yet are not sure. Father, please help us to place our belief and trust in Jesus, moment by moment, day by day. In his precious name, I pray. Amen.